0: creates you know a sense within universities that this level of discrimination is not acceptable that this level of harassment is not acceptable and that just because i'm a palestinian doesn't mean that you can try and erase me and walk all over me the electronic intifada
1: the electronic intifada
0: the electronic intifada intifada.
1: this is the electronic intifada podcast i'm nora barrows friedman
0: and i'm asa Winstanley. stanley
1: Welcome back to the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows Friedman. As we reported, in mid May, City University of New York law school graduate Fatima Mohammed was selected by fellow students to deliver a commencement speech. She spoke emotionally about her grandparents watching from Yemen, reflected on her class's experience of virtual law school d- during the COVID 19 pandemic and criticized the use of the law to enforce and uphold white supremacy, policing, and censorship. She also celebrated CUNY Law's work to amplify, quote, the rights of its students to organize and speak out against Israeli settler colonialism.
2: Like many of you, I chose CUNY School of Law for its articulated mission to be law in the service of human needs. One of very few legal institutions created to recognize that the law is a manifestation of white supremacy that continues to oppress and suppress people in this nation and around the world. We joined this institution <laughs> We joined this institution to be equipped with the necessary legal skills to protect our communities to protect the organizers fighting endlessly day in and out with no accolades, no cameras, no votes, no PhD grants, working to lift the facade of legal neutrality and confront the systems of oppression that wreck violence on them. Systems of oppression created to feed an empire with a ravenous appetite for destruction and violence. Institutions created to intimidate, bully, and censor, and stifle the voices of those who resist. In this moment in this moment of celebrating who we are, I want to celebrate CUNY Law as one of the few, if not the only law school, to make a public statement defending the right of its students to organize and speak out against Israeli settler colonialism. That this, <laughs> that this is the law school that passed and endorsed BDS on a student and faculty level. <laughs> Recognizing that absent a critical imperialism settler colonialism lens, our work and this school's mission statement is void of value. That as Israel continues to indiscriminately rain bullets and bombs, on worshippers murdering the old, the young, attacking even funerals and graveyards as it encourages lynch mobs to target Palestinian homes and businesses as it imprisons its children, as it continues its project of settler colonialism, expelling Palestinians from their homes, carrying the ongoing Nakba, that, no, that our silence is no longer acceptable.
1: Following her speech Fatima was attacked by Israel lobby groups right wing media and local state and federal lawmakers and CUNY's Chancellor and Board of Trustees also decided to join the smear campaign against her condemning her address as hate speech, even though the speech was vetted beforehand. In mid-June, a coalition of civil rights groups, including Palestine Legal, called on CUNY to retract the statement, issue a public apology, recognize that opposition to the political ideology of Zionism is a stance for equality and freedom, and hold trainings on anti-Palestinian racism, among other demands. We're joined today by Fatima Mohammed and Amal Tabate, a fellow at Palestine Legal, to discuss all of this. Fatima and Amal, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast.
2: Thank
3: you so much for having us. Thank you so much for having
1: us, Nora. Thank you. Uh, Fatima, I know you're incredibly busy with studying for the bar exam, so we'll start with you and then uh, we can let you go. Um, First, tell us about yourself, how you got involved in Palestine solidarity, activism, and and what you hope to do as a lawyer, and and how significant uh, the issue of Palestine is to you.
2: Hi, everyone. Um, Thank you so much, Nora, for having us here. Um, I I was born in Yemen, so, you know, coming from Yemen, I think, you know, that really has a lot of influence on my experiences and just my positionality um, in the world. And so um, I was, I, I've i always cared deeply about Palestine because of my family, my upbringing, and mostly my faith, you know, it, it's really anchored um, on justice and sort of um, centering the oppressed in, in all the work that we do. And so growing up, you know, my community and my faith and just my upbringing really centered the Palestinian cause as sort of like the litmus test for principled um, people and principled activists. And so um, I grew up just constantly, um, unfortunately, seeing um, the the pain and the violence that the Palestinian people were subject to and sort of feeling a really, a strong sense of responsibility, not just as, you know, a fellow human being sharing this earth with everyone, but, you know, as an American citizen whose money is being funneled and funding this violence. And so um, I grew up going to a lot of the protests that were organized by then, I think it was Students for Justice in Palestine National, and now it's within our lifetime. And so I grew up, you know, going to these rallies and, trying my best to sort of join the cause as best as I could from New York City. Um, And ended up going to law school. Um, My first semester of law school was actually um, the first, the semester where Nirdeen Kaswani within our lifetime chair was attacked. And so it kind of, that's how my journey at law school started. Um, It was started organizing um, to defend Nirdeen Kaswani. And three years later, Nirdeen um, is leading wool and defending me. And so it's like a very full circle try think but um yeah i it's really been um something that i deeply care about and i think something that a lot of us should care about because of how complicit um we are not you know just by staying home and just not saying anything we we are we are complicit in many ways
1: and uh you're studying for the bar. Um, you just graduated. Uh, what do you hope to do with that degree? And, and where do you see your work um, needed the most?
2: Yeah, so, you know, like many law students, law graduates, the future doesn't seem very clear um, to me in terms of like what my next steps are, but I do hope that I'm able to use my JD and my future license to you know, champion the cause of human needs to different communities, whether it be communities here or abroad, and to sort of, you know, elevate the causes that need to be elevated and amplify the voices that have been ignored for far too long. And so whether it be championing the rights of Palestinians, um, or my our fellow neighbors here in the United States, you know, I, I just hope to be able to do meaningful work that, you know, surpasses just myself.
1: Uh, Fatima, talk about the support you've received from your cohort and members of faculty, along with, you know, people like Nurdine, um, who have been through what you are going through. Um, you were selected to speak at the graduation ceremony in May uh, by fellow law students, and you could hear that applause um, after, you know, various uh, moments in your speech. Um, and they've been instrumental in your defense afterwards. How important has it been to receive that kind of support and solidarity?
2: Yeah, you know, from this place and from this tiny room, I, I really want to send so much gratitude and love to, you know, everyone who supported me, um, faculty, students at CUNY Law, and beyond, you know, there has been such, so much support that it honestly leaves me overwhelmed. And it helps me stay grounded and helps me stay um sane at a very, in a very difficult time. Um, You know, it's, it's crucial because it's just not about me, right? It's about the principle. And I think for far too long, organizers for Palestinian liberation have, you know, when they're thrown under the bus, they're either immediately forgotten or folks don't feel so comfortable for many different reasons. Um, one being just the vicious smear campaigns we're subjected to, um, to, to come out and defend us. And I think this is one of, you know, it, it was such a beautiful um moment that so many people came out and said, you know, this is actually wrong, and we can no longer continue to, you know, demonize and you know subject organizers or people who speak for Palestinian rights to such vicious vitriol um from these different groups. And I think, you know, looking from now having a bird's eye view, like it's very um looking At our history, it's very normal that people who fight for justice and who are on the right side of justice are not celebrated and are not given their flowers in their due time. And I think, you know, very often the biggest and most influential civil rights leaders were subjected to such vicious harassment, um, to were attacked and vilified in many different ways, and many were assassinated. And so it's not a unique thing for us as organizers or those who speak out for Palestinian um, liberation to be subject to such... Vicious attacks, but I think it's time that we learn from history and we become principled in the way that we defend and in the solidarity that we show. And I think this was one of it was such a, you know, it was such a painful but such a beautiful moment where we saw so many people come together and say, no, you can't do that and it's not okay. And I think it really, really does show that the movement for Palestinian liberation is moving forward and it's growing, and that the masses largely support Palestinian liberation and the manufactured rage by Zionist groups and um, elected officials who con- continue to fail their constituents but have time to harass organizers that they're they're not representative of the mass of the masses and they're not representative of the people who do want to see a free Palestine within our lifetime
1: absolutely um... What advice do you have for other students who take up the issue of Palestinian rights and are scared that they'll be bullied by outside political forces and, and pro-apartheid lawmakers?
2: Yeah, well, I think I want to start by saying that that is a very valid concern and that it is not OK. Um, and so I don't want to misrepresent my enthusiasm as a way of saying that this is sort of you know something that should be normalized because it shouldn't. Um, There should never be a scenario where people who are speaking for liberation, or speaking for Palestinian liberation, Black liberation, Indigenous liberation, are subject to such vitriol, Islamophobic, misogynistic um, attacks by people in positions of power. Um, You know, I'm a 24-year-old law graduate. Um, In comparison, theoretically, I have no power, which brings me to to the second point, which I think is the more optimistic, and it's the point that grounds me the most, and one that I want to know, deliver to other students and other other people who are listening is that our words hold so much power and we are so much more powerful than we think. And you know, this entire smear campaign was just evidence of how powerful words are and how important it is that we speak up and how important it is that we elevate these causes. And so I I think let this moment or let this fear be something that inspires you to recognize the power of your words and in whatever capacity you can. I know folks Not everybody gets the opportunity to do a graduation speech and you know seldom do those opportunities come but in any way that you can at your workplace at your home at your dinner table wherever you can to sort of champion the cause and elevate the cause do so and um there are so many people who are going to come out to support you and there's so many people who have your back and you know this is just a droplet in the water in comparison to the sacrifices that the people in Palestine who are resisting the occupation daily have to go through. And it's just such a tiny sacrifice, at least for me, that's how I view it. Um, To just speak up, especially as people who are, like I said, who have, who are complicit by being Americans and who fund this violence. And I think we're past the awareness stage, right? We're past you know, the Palestinian people have documented these atrocities, they've documented their displacement, they've documented their houses being um, bulldozed, they've documented uh, the riots by by settlers, they've documented everything, they've documented their pain, the violence and their suffering, the least that we can do is, you know, honor that in the ways that we can and, and defend them and speak, speak alongside them, because they've, they've been shouting and they've been screaming very, very loud, and it's time that we hear them.
1: It just struck me, like you know, how significant it was that not only were you selected to give that speech by by your your fellow, you know, law graduates and faculty, um, but that there was just such an enormous amount of applause during it um, when you were speaking that it it seemed, you know, like more than consensus. It was like you know what was it like for you to talk about um you know the ne- the ongoing nakba and the 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 violence of of zionism um and the israeli state and and look out and see that audience right there with you what was that like
2: i think that was probably one of the most beautiful moments of my life and it's a moment that i will honor because it's a moment that's been you know it's a three-year process of organizing on campus. You know these things don't just happen naturally. There was a lot of organizing, a lot of mobilizing that happened on campus to bring about um, such a beautiful audience. And I think um, you know mainstream and right-wing tabloids and elected officials have been very determined in sort of making me out to be a lone wolf who just went broke um, and just took the mic and just said whatever. And that's just simply divorced from the reality of what happened. Anybody who was in the room would have seen my classmates in tears crying in applause and they would have seen my mother crying in applause and they would have seen a, a class and an auditorium standing on their feet um, giving applause to, to sort of recognizing um, our support for the Palestinian um, movement for liberation. And I think it's, it's just so beautiful to see and it's why I felt so, so inspired and it's why I still feel so proud of that moment that I did speak about what my classmates entrusted me to speak about. You know, my classmates know who I am, they know they know my they know who I am, what I'm about, what I organize for, and that is why they selected me to be their class speaker, and they entrusted me with that. And you know it wasn't just limited to Palestinian liberation, like you said, we I spoke about a lot of different topics, and so to the to CUNY Central and Board of Trustees who sort of categorized everything as hate speech. Um, by no legal definition, um, they even failed to sort of <laughs> explain or distinguish which part was hate speech. And, and it's just, to me, a moment that shows just how disconnected the board of trustees is from their students and from their institutions. And it's a moment to recognize that for other institutions and other student bodies, that this is possible, that this is, you know, we can have institutions and we can have student leaders who sort of Champion the cause for Palestine and who bring it forward, and that we should be celebrated. And I, I really hope that this is one of many, many institutions, and that CUNY law doesn't stand alone in their in their support for Palestine.
1: And obviously, your support for Palestine isn't going anywhere. Um and, you know, I mean, I know that that you you talked about this in a recent interview with Jewish Currents. Um but uh, you know, and you said, like, given the chance, you know, not only would you say the same thing in that speech, but that you would do it louder. Um, how you know, like, what? How does it feel to like stand in that sort of integrity um, and commitment and principle, and and how um, how will that help carry your work as a as a lawyer going forward?
2: Yeah. Well, I think that that integrity is a gift from. My ancestors—it's a gift for my faith. It's um, it's something that I can't sort of um, talk about without feeling so moved by everybody else who's come before me, who's brought me to this place. And so, you know, there—I have absolutely no regrets. And I, in the same way that I stood, and the, the sound of that applause still rings in my ears, and it's that it's that sound that carries me forward, um, because it's the sound of a failing. Um Zionist propaganda narrative. It's the sound of a movement for Palestine moving forward. And it's the March for Liberation that's moving forward. And so my commitment to Palestine and my commitment to, um, to movements for liberation was never guided or was never um, principled by what right-wing tabloid media organizations or elected officials think of me. It's always been grounded by what I feel is right, and what I know to be right and what my faith teaches me to be right, and what my community um, tells me um, it is the movement for liberation and so it's there's been so much there's so many emotions and so many feelings, but I really hope that folks understand that you know repression and censorship and chilling Palestinian organizers is starting to become a lost cause because it's only going to inspire more and more people to speak out i um was made aware of Jana Abu Levan, who also sp- spoke at her commencement and said that she was inspired by my speech and it's so it's a, it's it shows really that these tactics are starting to fail because the movement is growing and the reality is there nothing i said in that speech was uncontested by the lived reality of the palestinian people it's been documented it's been spoken about by many different human rights organizations and to sort of distance yourself from the reality, that's an issue for you to deal with as a lobbying group. It's not really something that I carry. And I think the shame and the regret is theirs to carry when in years ahead, they will realize that they stood in the in the wrong side of history. And so I'm really excited for a future um, of lawyering that's centered around fighting for those who are oppressed. That's centered by my faith, and that's centered by um, disciplined principles. Um, And I think we can no longer waver when it comes to Palestine. We can no longer exceptionalize Palestine as this sort of um, radioactive taboo subject, even in liberal spaces. I think we can no longer afford to do that, and we shouldn't, and it's the, the wrong decision to make. And so to the extent that folks are plugged in and are supporting organizing efforts on the ground to, whether it's for BDS or other missions. I think folks should really take this moment to just one step closer. It does not need to um, be something where you're like thrusting yourself 100% in, but just take one step closer towards fighting um, for this movement.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much. And if you have time, you can uh, continue to join us. Otherwise, we can we can let you go. I know that you're very, very busy. (laughs) Um, But I wanted to bring Amal in. Um, Amal, your uh, the Michael just, Michael Ratner Justice Fellow at Palestine Legal. Um, you also graduated from CUNY law yourself. Um, take us through your initial reactions to what Fatima just said in the context of how students are not just stepping up their opposition to Israeli apartheid and settler colonialism, but, but facing these kinds of smear campaigns.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And exactly like you said, um, also a recent CUNY law graduate um, Palestinian American organizer living in New York. So a lot of what Fatima is saying resonates with me, not just in a personal capacity, but also very clearly in our work at Palestine Legal. Um, you know, Fatima has been targeted by anti-Palestinian groups in a very racist, Islamophobic harassment campaign, and like she mentioned, has been it's been exasperated by public officials and her own university over comments she made in a commencement speech advocating. For the liberation of Palestine and justice for all. And Fatima's story is definitely not unique. Over the past decade, we've seen um, over 2000, 2,000 incidents of suppression of advocacy for Palestine. And so Fatma is one of many who are one of many students who are being censored, punished, and, and vilified for her advocacy for, for Palestine. Um, Like Fatma, you know, alluded to, you know, she received resounding applause for her speech when she discussed the harms experienced by black and brown communities in the U.S., the experiences of Palestinians living under settler colonialism, and celebrated CUNY Law's mission of of lawyering and in the service of oppressed communities and, and those in need. And so this targeted campaign against Fatma, which has been exasperated by public officials, including members of Congress, state lawmakers, and right-wing media outlets is a harassment campaign that ma- many Palestine act- act- uh, activists have faced and are facing. Um, and I think you know, again, Fatma's story is definitely not unique, and and she's one of many, unfortunately. Um, the attacks against Fatma are part of a widespread harassment campaign to shut down criticism of Israel by attacking Palestinians and attacking their supporters. Um, and and like we're also seeing in Fatma's case. False and and inflammatory allegations of anti semitism underlie many of these attacks. Um, these false accusations are are employed as a strategy by Israel lobby groups to target and and to suppress Palestine advocacy and and speech. And these attacks against Fatma fall within this larger and and widely criticized effort to silence students and and to silence scholars and community a- advocates who speak out. And speak about Palestinian rights um, by by effectively equating criticism of Israel with anti-Jewish hate and by turning the political ideology of Zionism into a protected class, including, including by pushing you know, a definition of anti-Semitism that, that conflates criticism of Israel with, with anti-Jewish hate. And so, you know, I, I, I wanted to sort of place what Fatima is experiencing into this this sort of broader context of of this widespread harassment campaign that's happening to many, many activists and students and scholars, not just Fatima.
1: Exactly. Um, Talk a little bit more about the tenor of the backlash. Uh, There was one local lawmaker who wrote to the New York State Bar Association demanding that they refuse to let Fatima take the exam. Uh, And then we have people like Congressman Richie Torres, Senator Ted Cruz, and others piling on. Um, Representative Josh Gottheimer even called on the Department of Education to strip CUNY Law's federal funding. Um, Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about this and, uh, you know, and and how um, you and other civil rights organizations are, are addressing this.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, after Fatima spoke at her commencement speech on on May 12th, she received, you know, a lot of harassment on social media, um, and it it began, uh, a huge harassment campaign began against her, and the CUNY Board of Trustees is complicit in fueling the harassment campaign. Like Fatima mentioned, on May 30th, the board and the CUNY Chancellor published a statement condemning her speech as hate speech. Um, claiming that it was, quote, a public expression of hate towards people and communities against their religion, race, or political affiliation. This is a very clearly false and harmful characterization that's being weaponized against Fatima, a visibly Muslim and Arab American woman. And so instead of taking steps to address the harassment that Fatima was facing, a student of CUNY, CUNY, jo- CUNY joined in on the anti-Palestinian bullying campaign, um, And and CUNY's statement reinforced the the smear campaign that was being led by public officials and pro-Israel groups, really resulting in a really severe online harassment campaign and and new attacks. Um, And, you know, the smearing and harassment and intimidation of Palestine rights activists have serious consequences. These attacks harm reputations, they harm careers of students and scholars and workers, and they encourage censorship of activists infringing on their First Amendment rights. And we see that happening with Fatma, exactly like you mentioned. A New York City council member and right-wing anti-Palestinian organizations have called on the character and fitness committees of the New York courts to find her unfit to practice law and to n- deny her admission to the to the bar. And you know, there's also there's also been a role of the IRA definition uh, here too, and and that's been at play as well. On June 6th, like you mentioned, Representative Gottheimer wrote a letter to the Department of Education, um, demanding the defunding of CUNY law on the premise that Fatima's speech constituted a violation of the Title VI of Civil Rights Act of 1964. And so in his letter, Gottheimer references one of the distorted IRA uh, definitions, illustrative examples. Um, And this really illustrates how it's weaponization, the weaponization of IRA is contributing to a dangerous erosion of First Amendment rights on, on, on this, to dissent on issues of, public, of critical public concern, and, and is an escalation of anti-Palestinian bias and anti-Palestinian discrimination. And it, and it really speaks to larger efforts that are, that are being led by pro-Israel groups that are lobbying the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights to adopt the IRA definition in order to use it as a guide when investigating Title VI complaints. You also mentioned um, the federal bill, um, I believe, um, that Representative Mike Lawler introduced to block funding to U.S. schools that allow events where students criticize Israel. So this too, you know, is speaking to this larger tactic that has resulted in hundreds of bills that that have been introduced in state legislators in the U.S. Congress targeting Palestine advocacy. And so we're seeing, we're seeing the targets and, and harassment coming from many different sources. And I think, again, like it, it has really escalated in ways that I think even took me a bit to surprise. Um, you know, while I'm not surprised to see the harassment of Palestine advocates or the intimidation or, or the cyberbullying, I was very surprised to see so many different, um, you know, actors at play here attacking Fatma. Um, and really surprised to see the, the public statement condemning it as hate speech, like Fatima mentioned, by no legal definition. Um, and, you know, we expressed a lot of these concerns in our coalition letter. Um, and, you know, it, uh, sort of expressed the, the different ways in which the, the statement and the, this com- campaign has, you know, severe cons- concerns as it relates to First Amendment rights and state and federal discrimination laws and Title VI uh, concerns as well. Um and like you mentioned, you know, in our letter, we're we're demanding that they that they retract this the statement and, and issue an apology. Um, but I think you know a lot of the harm has been done, but this is sort of the least that CUNY can do.
1: And has there been any communication from CUNY yet? Um that you know yeah. of since you sent the letter?
3: We have not heard from CUNY yet. So it's just
2: been silence from their end.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Fatima, um, you wanted to jump in?
2: Yeah, I think I really just wanted to underscore sort of contextualizing what's happened to me and understanding that this is not so, sort of like an individual viral sort of um, disorganized kind of something that just like randomly escalated, right? I think when we start when we look at it sort of from the bigger picture, the rage in itself was manufactured, right? Like you're yeah. talking about a student who gives a speech, the whole room is in applause. And then, two weeks after that speech is done, um between like the day and night, um you wake up to like New York Post at your home and sort of an entire campaign being thrusted and being a target of a national hate campaign where my livelihood and my safety um, was placed at risk, you know? And so, sort of understanding that it's part and parcel of a larger, larger, deliberate campaign that seeks to not only militarize public schools and CUNY um, here specifically, but it's, it's attempting to deepen ties that CUNY has and these public institutions have to Israel and to other oppressive um, institutions and regimes. And so, and I just, one, one last thing I really wanted to add was in that, in this, in this last month, right? And in those two weeks that the, the hate campaign was at its height um, against me, as mainstream media continued to defame and incite violence against me, um, and as they caved in and, and allied with the Israeli lobby against me, Israeli occupation forces admitted to shooting Mohammed tamimi in the mm-hmm. head at just two years old. And on June 8th, at the heels of the anniversary of the murder of Sharina Ba'agleh, Israel attempted to murder not one but two journalists, um, Mu'min and, and Rabia. And these were these were journalists wearing their, their vests, and they were documented, documenting the atrocities um, and the violence that was happening to them. And None of that, of course, is being called out to be to be uh, to be wrong, or none of that is is you know invoking in these elected officials to speak out against this this depravity and this violence. But of course, they find the time to sort of um, do the complete opposite and to use their social media platforms where there are hundreds and hundreds of people to place me as a target for a national smear campaign. And so, I think if this moment really should call in folks who even don't really understand um, the politics of the situation, which is not that difficult to understand. But, you know, it, it should really bring people to pause why a mayor of New York City is amplifying a right-wing tabloid magazine that relies consistently throughout history on Islamophobic, racist, misogynistic vitriol against organizers. And I think it's a moment for all of us to sort of understand that these campaigns are really part of larger efforts. and. That this is not a coincidental thing. This is not because um, my speech was just so amazing. It, it really, I would love to, to for that to be the case, but it's really not. It's part of a very deliberate campaign to silence us and to sort of scare people off. And I think I truly believe that there's this effort to make me to to make an example out of me to sort of, if you speak for Palestine, this is what can happen to you. And so I think to the extent that there are organizations that have not yet spoken out or have not yet made a statement, or have not yet done whatever they can to sort of make their position be known that this is not okay, I think this is me inviting them to do so. Because I think this is a moment where um, you have so many different groups and so many different actors trying to effectively remove me from the space and to silence me, even if it's at the cost of my livelihood, of my safety, of my security, um, and I think it's a very dangerous precedent that they're trying to set. And I think it needs to be met with equal um, rate, equal, equal, equal um, opposition for for what's happening. And so, you know, there are winds that are happening for Palestine here, and there are winds that, that are happening in Palestine by the Palestinian people who are resisting this violence. And I think that's the backlash is against that. And I think we're all sort of just being used um by the, the israeli lobby and by these elected officials as pawns to sort of make their um their positions um and their um their allyship with uh, with with israel known even if it's at our expense um but that's all i have to add and i really just wanted to thank you again and thank all the listeners and um thank everybody who's come out to support me in any way that they have i have not been on social media because <laughs> um, not the best time to be on social media right now, but I've um I've been sent so much love, and I just wanted to send it right back.
1: I can't wait to see what you do next, Fatima. Um, I'm really, I, you know, all of us here at the Electronic Intifada um just have so much awe and admiration for. For, for you and for your speech and, and for your strength in the face of all of this, you know, just an avalanche of hate and racism and Islamophobia. And so, yeah, we we really appreciate you coming on and, and, and speaking your truth. Um, and um, Amal, finally, uh, can you just give us a, a quick overview of how people can continue to support Fatima? Um, and um, get more information on how to, you know, encourage, pressure CUNY to do the right thing and defend their graduate instead of pile on the smear campaign against her.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I just, before I, before I get into that, I just really want to add into Fatima's last point, um, which which is about the unity and and the resistance, you know, These massive campaigns and harassment campaigns are backfiring. There has been an outpour of love and support for Fatma, an outpour of rage at CUNY, and the elected officials' shameful targeting of a student over her political views on Palestine and other progressive issues. So ultimately, neither Israel nor its allies in the U.S. can shut down a movement for justice and freedom. And whatever repressive tactics they use, it's really up to us to make sure that such efforts are exposed as repressive tactics and that we continue to grow our movement dis- despite them. Um, there, are, there are a lot of different ways folks can support Fatma. A lot of different organizations and coalitions are circulating, you know, sign-on letters. Um, you can, you know, um, support her by sharing and boosting um, you know, support statements on social media by sharing our coalition letter. Um, you know reaching out to your um you know representatives and 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 reaching out to you know members of Congress to express your support and and you know your your condemnation for for their hateful statement against Fatima um also just you know staying to, staying tuned with our work um you know this is definitely not not the end and and there'll, there'll certainly be a lot more opportunities to get involved and to support Fatima down the road
1: Amal uh Michael Ratner, Justice Fellow at Palestine Legal and a graduate of CUNY Law School. Thank you so much for being with us today. And we'll have links to the stories we've written uh, about the situation at CUNY and the letter that the civil rights organizations, um, including Palestine Legal, wrote to CUNY on the blog post that accompanies this episode. Amal, um, thank you so much for being with us.
3: Thank you so much for having me, Nora. It's been such a
1: pleasure. Thank you, same. And please stay tuned. We'll be right back with Radhika Sainath, Senior Staff Attorney at Palestine Legal, and her client, Ahmad Duraldik, to talk about a developing situation involving how he's fighting back against a similar smear campaign orchestrated by Israel lobby groups and lawmakers in Florida, all the way uh, from 2020 until now. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We continue our discussion on how students and civil rights organizations are pushing back against the bullying tactics of the Israel lobby and Israel aligned politicians. Palestine Legal writes that the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights has finally opened a formal investigation into a complaint alleging that Florida State University discriminated against Palestinian student Ahmad Duraldik. After Ahmad was elected FSU Student Senate President in June 2020 and spoke openly about his experiences as a Palestinian, he was made an open target of a statewide harassment campaign that included Florida state legislators calling for his removal and threatening to withhold funds to FSU. Ahmed filed the first ever complaint alleging anti-Palestinian discrimination in violation of Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act in April 2021. We'll speak with Ahmed in a few minutes, but first we're joined by Radhika Sainath, Senior Staff Attorney at Palestine Legal, who's been at Ahmed's defense for three years now. Radhika, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you for having me on, Nora. I'm a big fan of the show. Oh, thanks. We're big fans of yours. Um, We just talked about the situation at CUNY Law School in New York. Uh, Take us through what's happened recently at Florida State University with your client, Ahmad Duraldik, who's been waiting more than two years for the Department of Education to open up the complaint. Um, We spoke about this for an article I wrote in December 2022, Uh, You were still waiting for a response from the government about uh, the complaint that was filed in April 2021. Let's have you begin by refreshing our memory about what happened to your client when he was elected student senate president and why this complaint is significant.
4: Sure. So in June 2020, our client Ahmed Daraldik made history as the first Palestinian elected as president of the Florida State University Student Senate. Following this historic vote, there was a campaign to remove and silence Ahmed driven by, um, you know, anti-Palestinian people, students, politicians, even the university itself. Um, And the underlying basis of it was just this myth that opposition to Israel's occupation or colonization or military violence is um, anti-Jewish. you know, after Ahmed was elected, he came out as being proudly Palestinian, and he spoke about his experiences growing up under military occupation. He spent many years of his life living in the West Bank. Um, this was a period like now where the Israeli army was routinely raiding Palestinian villages. He and his sister were tear gassed, his little sister in their homes. Um, and he talked about these experiences and these stories, and people didn't like it. And basically, there was a horrific anti-Racist, a a horrific anti-Palestinian campaign against Ahmed. Um, He received so many just awful messages, um, hateful messages, calling him like sand N-word, saying that he should be castrated. Um, things that I just don't want to mention or repeat. And instead of taking action to support him, Florida State University doubled down. They contributed to the harassment campaign. Um, Florida's president, um, then president at the time, put out a statement condemning Ahmed, saying that he was anti-Semitic again for you know sharing his stories about what it's like being Palestinian. So um, you know after trying to after filing numerous complaints, Ahmed filed them himself. Actually, and and you know, try to get support from the university, and got radio silence. We basically resorted to filing the first ever complaint alleging um, a hostile environment based on anti-Palestinian discrimination um, in violation of the Title Title Six of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Um, two years ago, as you said, it took a really really long time for the Department of Education to open up an investigation. It should not have taken this long by their own rules, Um, but we're really glad that it happened. It signals that the Department of Education is taking these types of complaints seriously.
1: Yeah, I mean, over the past, I don't know what it's been, 10 years, we've focused on the Title VI complaints that Israel lobby organizations, sometimes aided and uh, abetted by (laughs) Kenneth Marcus, who was the head of the Office for Civil Rights, uh, mm-hmm. Had been filing um, to the Department of Education, alleging that um, just the mere presence of uh, student activists and you know students for justice and Palestine chapters, and the mentioning of Israel's uh, war crimes was somehow a violation of Title VI. So it's it's interesting to see that 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 we can you know also use these tools that are set up to protect students. Um, uh, using you know the same the same Title Six complaints, um, what precedent could this set for other students who have been bullied, smeared, and harmed in the same way that Ahmed has? If the Department of Education finds that um, what Ahmed has been alleging in his complaint uh, is found to be uh, what happened, yeah, you know,
4: we hope that it sends a message. I mean, whatever happens, that 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 other universities understand that they cannot discriminate against Palestinians in this way or tolerate this bigoted, harassing climate um, where students um, who are Palestinian or students who support Palestinian rights are discriminated against, treated differently, investigated, again, for either taking a stance for Palestinian equality or just talking about what it's like to be Palestinian. Um, And so I think it's really important that other universities get that message. And, um, you know, whatever happens, You know, regardless, we, you know, this is, we will be filing more of these, you know, and I think um, Ahmed is the first student in the country to file this type of complaint um, based on anti-Palestinian discrimination. We filed another one um, a couple months ago against George Washington University on behalf of three students, and the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights just opened up an investigation there as well. So, um, you know, I think it's really important for schools to understand also that they should not be adopting or relying on the IRA definition of anti-Semitism and its contemporary examples, because it can lead to discrimination, um, against Palestinians. And it's, it's problematic for so many different reasons, but, um, at the minimum, you know, adopting, um, a definition of anti-Semitism that, that would make it, um, you know a unlawful or you know could subject you to a discrimination complaint because you criticize israel would mean that palestinians could not talk about what it's like being palestinian um or that they deserve equal rights because that is inherently criticism criti- uh, critical of 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 zionism and the israeli settler project right and so that would be a double standard that would lead to students being treated differently again based on their palestinian identity So I think it's really important that universities understand that they will just, you know, be embroiled in a morass of discrimination complaints if they adopt this definition. So one of the things that we're asking for is for um, the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights to um, to make sure that universities don't adopt or rely on this definition as well.
1: Right. Let's talk more about that. Especially in Florida, the IHRA, uh, IRA definition and anti-BDS legislation has played a part in the situation for students being harassed uh, in Florida. Mm -hmm. Um, When we first reported on the story on the situation at FSU in 2020, students were worried that these draconian censorship measures would invite more harassment and smear campaigns onto students who advocate for Palestinian rights. In 2019, Florida's uh, notorious governor, Ron DeSantis, signed a bill redefining anti-Semitism and making it illegal to speak out in public institutions against Israel's uh, human rights violations, essentially adopting, um, you know, full bore the IHRA definition. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the legal landscape in Florida for students who believe that Palestinians should have human rights?
4: Sure. So, and I just want to be clear for for your Florida listeners. Yeah. um, you know, the Constitution is the highest law of the land. So even though there are these attempts in Florida and in other states to um, chill speech supporting Palestinian rights or to pass these definitions um, to make it critical uh, to to make it um, uh, you know um, to 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 subject you to discrimination complaints, um, if that happens to you, please do contact us because you do have. Free speech rights under the First Amendment to criticize Israel to the same degree that you can criticize any other country. It is unlawful for a state or a city or a university, you know, that's public, to say uh, to treat speech um, supporting Palestinian rights differently from other types of speech. That's called viewpoint discrimination, and it's unlawful. The First Amendment does not allow for it. So I think that's really important to understand. Despite that, it can be really hard, right? Because you know, and I think that's why, um, you know, pro-Israel groups are trying to pass these laws or to introduce these laws because people don't understand, they're confused, low-level administrators call Palestinians in or their supporters, Students for Justice in Palestine, to question them, they're treated differently, they're subjected to investigations, even if ultimately, and this is what happened in our George Washington University case, you know, Palestine Legal is there and we can help you and you're cleared, it is. It makes things really hard, and you shouldn't be treated differently again because you're Palestinian or because you're speaking out for Palestinian human rights.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and you know what? What can student? I mean, you know, besides reaching out for uh, for legal help from Palestine Legal or the Center for Constitutional Rights, um, etc. What options are available for students uh, who are facing these kinds of smear campaigns and and bullying tactics and, and harassment um, by not just, you know, like on campus Israel lobby organizations, um, but by state and federal lawmakers as well.
4: Yeah. You know, I would say, of course, you know, organize that's, that's the most important thing and to keep speaking out, it's so important to share your stories and it can be really hard, but um, but it's so important because I do think that the tide is changing in this country. More and more people, especially younger people, understand what's happening in Palestine and that the situation is untenable and it must end. More people are speaking out against Zionism. So I would say keep doing what you're doing. And if you need legal help, we're here.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much. Radika Sainath, she's the senior staff attorney with Palestine Legal. Thanks for all you do. And we'll be right back with Ahmed Duraldik. Welcome back. I'm now joined by Ahmed Duraldik, who we spoke to in 2020 when he was at the center of attacks by Florida lawmakers and Israel lobby groups. And as Radika Sainath just said, the Department of Education has opened up a long-awaited investigation into Ahmed's allegations of anti-Palestinian discrimination at Florida State University. Ahmed, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast.
0: Thank you for having me, Noura. I'm excited to be here. You know, it's been a long time waiting for this type of justice, so.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much. We're we're really glad you're here, too. Um, So Palestine Legal says that the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights will examine whether Florida State University stood by while a hostile environment ballooned on campus and whether the university's own actions reinforced this hostile climate um, in violation of Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Can you talk about what you experienced personally after you were elected student senate president and what your complaint details? Take us back to 2020.
0: Yeah. Um I'll I'll start with saying it's a lot. You know what I mean? Like there's there were so many things that happened that. It's, it's really hard to be able to just recall every single every single step, right? But the main situation was I'm elected on like June 6th in 2020. Three days later on a Monday, I'm being like over the weekend, basically it starts to, to blow up on a Facebook group chat where I'm starting to be attacked for an Instagram post. Um, and then I respond to the Instagram post using an old Facebook. And then that kind of blew it even more out of proportion. And from there, it started to just kind of Literally, it was like snowballing, like down a hill where it started to become bigger and bigger and bigger situation where at first it's just like a few students involved to then Cities are getting involved. You know, representatives are getting involved. The university administrators are getting involved. There was like even a tweet at one point reaching out to the admissions office, making sure if I like trying to get me basically removed from the university as like someone that they think shouldn't be a student anymore so it was it was a lot you know what I mean like I I experienced a level of discrimination that I never expected you know what I mean I came to this university hoping for opportunity I came to this university hoping for an education that that's something that I couldn't get when I was back home in fall scene it's not the same level of of education as you know an American university especially one that's in the top 20 um and so I was—I would say I was pretty—I was pretty distraught and hurt by the situation, just because it was like you're in this role; you're supposed to be serving students. I'm here; I'm serving students. I'm doing these things, trying to make sure that their voices are heard. Whether it's trying to help them when it came to building like a, a race, like a diversity and race, you know, ad hoc committee or building one that was for survivors and advocating for survivors of sexual assault. Um, and you know that work that I was doing for students didn't even matter anymore because I was now labeled and highlighted as something that I'm not. Um, and it kind of just, you know, it it made my job as a student leader a lot harder. And then it gave people, you know, more reason to come after me because now that I can't do my job because I'm being attacked constantly, it gives them another reason to be like, Oh, look, he's not even doing this. He's not doing that. But it's like, how can you do anything when every single minute of every single day, when you're in this position, you're being harassed and attacked.
1: Right. I remember um, when we first reported the story that there was, uh, you know, for example, there were local lawmakers, um, but also state and federal lawmakers who were uh, attacking you. I remember there was a, I think, Florida um, high-level official of, like, the COVID response uh, unit.
0: Right, he was, like, a person, and then there was, like, the whole um branch that came from like the house of representatives the jewish caucus decided that you know i'm a target that they need to attack there was Hellendale beach it's a city um aventura city in south florida two cities in south florida wrote resolutions about how how like i guess horrible of a person i am from their perspective which makes no sense because if you try and get to know me as a person you'd understand that i'm just as as chill as the next person like i'm not out here Trying to to attack nobody. It really, my goal has always been and will always be to help. And so, for me to be labeled as someone that's trying to create harm and and just being being labeled as an aggressor was really hard to accept because I know that's not who I am.
1: Right. Absolutely. And uh, and the university uh, stood stood by and let it happen.
0: Um, well, they stood by and and more than just let it happen. They yeah. kind of like they fanned the fire, yeah. you know what I mean? The university president released a letter to the entire, an announcement to the entire university labeling the situation, you know, very differently than what it should have been labeled. And then even beyond that, the the university president directly sent me a letter um, after a situation in July of 2020, just basically, you know, berating me and, and directly stating there's like this one quote that I usually won't forget. It's like, you know, I've look, He he said like, I want to make it very clear that I have lost complete and utter faith in your leadership, something along those lines. And, you know, Just started. Uni- right. And that coming from a university president, when, you know, this guy is. like, Yeah, but, you know, this guy's like
1: 60. Oh.
0: <laughs> Sorry about that. It's okay. Um, but you know that coming from somebody who's, you know, he's like sixty, seventy. I don't know how old the guy was. You know what I mean? President Thrasher was an older gentleman. And for me, I'm at the time I'm twenty years old. This guy with this level of experience is deciding that because of people that are not even at our university that he wants to label me in such a way and come after me in such a way when he could have been. A friend he could have been someone who tried to actually guide and support me because that's what he was doing at first but then the pressure became too much by all these outside forces that he decided oh it's better to leave him you know to hang let him dry out in the outside have you know let whatever people get whatever they want from them and it's not my situation anymore to deal with you know what i mean so it was yeah. it was tough to realize that that was the level of 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 kind of you know mindset that i was dealing with with all these people that they were on this wavelength of you know attack 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 when I'm always like somebody who wants to bring people in so it was it was very like very much a different experiment experience sorry but it's it's something that I think helped me grow a lot as a person and understand how people work better and and kind of push me to to put myself in spaces that actually need me versus being in spaces that are just going to cause hurt you know
1: um and uh three years later uh you've obviously graduated talk about what you're doing now and if the smear campaign still affects you today
0: um well truthfully I I've been wanting to graduate I haven't been able to graduate yet because Mm -hmm. of what I went through I've been behind in my coursework and I haven't really found that moment to catch myself and be like okay you're done. Like I've been wanting to graduate for almost like two years now. Like Mm -hmm. if I would do all the things that I did, if I wasn't in student government, if I didn't fight back, I probably would have graduated in 2022. But we're already in 2023. And because of everything I went through and because of that level of trauma that was left on me with no support really was just something that was kind of overwhelming for me to really process and understand that I, I I allowed my schoolwork to fall behind when I should have been focusing on that. Excuse me. And I should have been focusing on that instead of, you know, focusing on on the struggle. Like, I, I think the struggle is important. I think everyone needs to fight. But at the same time, making sure that an individual is good is is what you should be doing. You need to always take care of yourself first. And sometimes, you know, I put myself on the back burner because I knew that there was bigger things, more important things that I needed to fight for. But at the same time, that's not necessarily the best thing that I should have been doing. Um, Ahmed.
1: How significant is it that the Department of Education opened up this investigation, even though it took about four times uh, as long as other complaints the department receives uh, to be processed and opened? Um, what's your reaction on the DOE finally saying yes, we'll we'll start an investigation?
0: Well, I was definitely frustrated that it took this long. You know what I mean? Like I was like, okay, how much longer? How much longer? Like every year, I'm still waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting but to finally get the relief and and just knowing that it's moving forward there's finally a step to get us to some type of justice to some type of closure to some type of understanding of what Palestinians face in this country especially on university campuses was it was was empowering you know what i mean it got me stoked and excited to continue the fight i mean ready to to want to make sure that the message is heard that you know palestinian lives matter especially in a time that you know, we are in right now. Like it's so tumultuous in Palestine. When you look at what's happening in Janine, you just look at what's happening in the West Bank in general, you see the constant harassment of Palestinians, the constant murder. And it's not something that you can take lightly. And so being a Palestinian and going through my own type of struggle because of my identity in this country just reminds me of the parallels of how much worse it could be if I still was at if I was still back home in the West Bank. Mm-hmm.
1: And um, how is your family and community in the West Bank right now?
0: I think all the people from my family specifically, they should be okay. I haven't heard anything about them being like in some type of injured situation, but at the same time, you never know it's, things can switch at the flip of a hat flip of a coin. you know what i mean there's no there's no idea when something will happen. It's just you always have to be prepared that something bad will slash could happen because the you know the Israeli occupation forces are a force that doesn't necessarily want to be predictable they're intentionally doing things to play with Palestinians heads to intentionally manipulate them and get them to act in a way so that they can justify their horrific actions yeah
1: um If uh, the Department of Education, after it concludes this investigation, finds that your allegations are correct and that there was um, this incredibly hostile, racist, uh, Islamophobic, anti-Palestinian environment that was created on campus, um, what kind of precedent do you hope this sets for other students who are facing the kind of racist and discriminatory attacks by Israel lobby groups and, and the lawmakers that support them?
0: Precedent-wise, I would hope that it it creates, you know, a sense within universities that this level of discrimination is not acceptable, that this level of harassment is not acceptable, and that just because I'm a Palestinian doesn't mean that you can try and erase me and walk all over me. Because at the end of the day, my biggest goal and in, in this case is hoping that, you know, once the Department of Education actually investigates it and 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 hopefully they they see that there was discrimination, they come out with an outcome that says oh, Florida State needs to put these policies in place. They need to revoke the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism. They need to create an Arab student union. They need to create these different base bases of, of knowledge to help people understand what being a Palestinian is and and kind of the true the true foundation of what that conflict, you know, conflict, I use the term very, very lightly and loosely because I don't believe it's a conflict. It's, it's an occupation, it's a genocide. But we'll, you know what I mean? Like by actually talking about it, about the realities of what's going on, um, and even beyond that, like, I think I deserve an apology. I think any person that faces this level of harassment deserves an apology. And even beyond that, they need to make sure that I graduate because the only reason that I'm not on track is because of their actions. And it's like, there's only so much that one person can can do and say, unless other people understand that, you know, I'm not speaking from from nowhere. I'm speaking because, you know, there's there's backing, there's evidence of what I went through. And it's it's something that wasn't easy and it's something that wasn't that wasn't acceptable whatsoever, you know what I mean? Like, no person should have to to face that level of harassment, no matter who they are, no matter what they're doing, because at the end of the day, it's not something that's beneficial to society, and it's not beneficial to human interaction and human connection in general.
1: Yeah. What advice do you have to other students who um, saw what was happening to you three years ago um, and see what's happening to students uh, graduates like Fatima Mohammed?
0: I would say, you know, stand in your truth. There's no reason that you should put your your torch down because someone tells you that it's not bright enough or someone decides that you know it's gonna hurt them because you're speaking your truth because at the end of the day, what matters is, is justice. What matters is speaking up and standing up. And regardless of who you are, where you are, what you are, as long as you know that your truth is truth and that you know you're standing up for something that matters and is gonna put, push people forward instead of putting people down, then, then you stand up and you and you speak the heck out. You know what I mean? You're not just gonna sit there and allow these things to happen to you and you need to move forward and you need to push and you need to fight because at the end of the day, if we don't do it, nobody else is.
1: Right, we're gonna continue to watch the Department of Education's investigation very closely. Ahmad Duraldik, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast and please keep us posted. Thank you. Thanks for watching this video.
3: Please subscribe to our YouTube channel Hit like, leave a comment. These engagements help us with the YouTube algorithm and it helps us to get around Silicon Valley censorship as much as possible. It does make a difference. You can also support our journalism by going to electronicintifada.net and clicking on donate now. Thank you.